When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is episode 16 of the Flixwatcher podcast. Welcome guys, I'm Kobe. And I'm still Helen. On this episode of Flixwatcher, we'll be talking about Under the Skin, the Jonathan Glazer-directed Scarlett Johansson-starring vehicle about an alien being that comes down and preys on vulnerable men. (laughs) On uh, IMDb's score for Under the Skin was 6.3 out of 10. The Rotten Tomatoes score is 85%, but guys, stay tuned, of course, for the only scores that matter, which is a Flixwatcher rating. We are, of course, on iTunes, where you can subscribe and leave us a lovely review. You can also find us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod. Come say hi, give us a tweet, and visit the website FlixWatcher.tv for full listings of each episode. As always, films reviewed in this podcast were available to stream on Netflix UK at the time of recording. There may be bad language and there may be spoilers. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to this edition of Flix Watcher podcast. Today we are going to start a little bit differently. We have been enjoying the reviews that you've been leaving us on iTunes and we wanted to share some of the favourite ones with you. So we have from Get Lewis, who describes the show as enlightening and who is a very happy panda. Not sure whether he is an actual panda, but this panda is very happy. Another one we enjoyed was from Gerbera For You, who described it as being an absolute for the movie buff. Thank you for that one. And this is another one from Jimmy Uncle Diddy Bebo, who <laughs> described it as witty and engaging host with fantastic guests. So uh, this leads us on to our guests that we have with us today. We've got Will and Joe. Do you want to say hello and introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm uh, I'm Will. So I'm the uh, editor in chief of Exploding Helicopter, and I'm Joe, and I'm a contributor to the podcast and the website as well. And if you've not come across Exploding Helicopter, it's a website and podcast dedicated to celebrating my favourite movie trope of all time, which is exploding helicopters. And might not be something you've thought about a lot, but once you start noticing helicopters in films, you start noticing that they explode an awful lot of the time, often in some very strange, weird and wonderful ways. So on the website and on the podcast, we take a look at a different film and spend a bit of time dissecting the helicopter explosion on offer. So yeah, if you're interested, come and check it out. And how did you twig onto this fact, this phenomenon, as it were, in film that helicopters explode at an alarming rate? And why did you start recording it? So it was a friend of mine, I was watching a really cheap 
Robocop, a straight to DVD ripoff called Cyborg Cop. And my friend just said, you know, this helicopter hoved interview. And my friend just said, I bet that is going to explode in any minute. And sure enough, it did explode. And that just planted a seed in my mind. And then I was kind of just looking for a new sort of website blog type project to do. So I decided, right, I am going to catalogue this phenomena. <laughs> and yeah, been doing it for like the last eight years. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you have the an ultimate or favourite hel- exploding helicopter? Is there one that stands out as being the best? There are all sorts of different exploding helicopters that I really love. I'll just mention a, a couple that I really particularly like. I really like Ram- the one in Rambo 3 at the very end of the film where Sylvester Stallone is in a tank and he goes up against this crazed Russian general who's in this massive great helicopter and they just charge at each other. You know, obviously the helicopter in the sky, tank along the ground, they just collide into each other and this, this big epic fireball. It's totally ridiculous, totally over the top. But in terms of really odd exploding helicopters you can watch you can check out the uh, comedy film the other guys where you can see yeah. will ferrell down a helicopter using uh, golf balls that he's firing at it from a from a driving range so yeah very uh, over the top one in the rambo 3 and a very bizarre one in uh, the other guys you'd be surprised at how frequently there are surprisingly unique ways of destroying a helicopter which i think the the podcast and, and reviews sort of capture quite well well, we'll talk about, well, yeah, we'll certainly link to your guys' blog in the podcast. That's in the show notes. Yes. Yes, we will. So we're here today to talk about Under the Skin, which is chosen by yourself, Will. Do you want to tell us why you chose it? And if you can, give us a synopsis of the film. Sure. So Under the Skin came out in 2014, and it was written and directed by Jonathan Glazer, who's perhaps best known for Sexy Beast. And the film stars Scarlett Johansson as this mysterious alien creature who cruises the streets of Glasgow preying on men. And we first meet her character as she's sort of born or created. And we then begin to experience the world through her eyes. This film is quite hard to explain as there's very little plot and next to no exposition in it. (laughs) So there's no no hand-holding for the viewer here. But essentially what happens is that Scarlett's character moves through the film from being this cold-blooded, emotionless predator to one that starts to develop some sort of consciousness or humanity. And the reason I picked this film is actually because I did a massive U-turn on it. I saw it in the cinema when it first came out, and I really didn't think a lot of it. I thought it was pretentious. I thought it was style over substance. But I often do this bizarrely with films I dislike I often give them a second go and actually on the rewatch I completely did a u-turn on it and I actually think it's a really good film so the reason I picked it was because I wanted to perhaps try and convince people who'd written it off on a first viewing to go back give it another go or to encourage people who haven't seen it to, to go and watch it and hopefully try and recognize the film's strengths on that first viewing and not be perhaps put off by some of its more sort of obtuse or avant-garde elements. What are your thoughts, Joe? I th- agree with Will about the the giving it a second chance, I suppose. When Will picked this film, I, I wasn't particularly thrilled at all. <laughs> I... I think I'm not sure whether it was the time the time that I watched it. I didn't see it in the cinemas at all. I think the first time that I saw it was on on Netflix, and <laughs> I think I mu- it must have either been I don't know the state of inebriation at the time or the time of night that I watched it. But 
I found it a really difficult watch. And re-watching it this time for the second time, I think I, I gained a bit more of an appreciation for what it was trying to be. And I, I think your, your point about style over substance was certainly what I thought initially. And <laughs> it is a very peculiar film. And I think it's quite a unique film, though. And there are certain aspects that I... I think I noticed a bit more the second time on the on the rewatch that I quite enjoyed that weren't really apparent on the first. Can you give us any any examples? I think the point about there being virtually virtually no dialogue. I mean, it's it's so much of the film is is sort of implied, intimated, and hinted through a lot of the gestures that you see. And of what dialogue there is, I think like ninety percent of it must be like directions around the city of Glasgow. And <laughs> mentions Asda a lot. Asda a lot. The M8 never yeah. had so many mentions in the film. And whilst I th- think I found that initially sort of quite quite difficult in terms of engaging with the film, I think this time around, where I was maybe a bit more concentrated and and like knew what the film was, and so what it made it certainly a bit easier rewatching it this time to actually enjoy enjoy it. I think... Though I, I I still maintain that it's. Not one of my favourites. <laughs> well, we'll get to the scoring shortly. Well, shortly. But the when you're talking about the dialogue, one of the things I knew about this film before watching it the first time. Has everyone here seen it? Is this the second time everyone here has seen it? Yeah. Okay. So it'll be a good comparison anyway. But the thing I knew before the main thing I knew about this before the film before watching it the first time was that a lot of the dialogue was actually it wasn't improvised, but it was with people who didn't who were unwitting mm. participants in it. And I couldn't actually tell the difference between who was an actor in it and who was actually just a, an off-the-street kind of... And didn't realise they were talking to Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I just thought that was quite cool. There's quite a sort of contrast between, I suppose, those those scenes where there's a... It looks as though it's really realistic because, I mean, they, they are filming real people mm. in that. And then that contrasts very heavily with the moments where you see... Scarlett Johansson go into her her home and it's it's very clearly a very different world within that very very dark very black very reflective space it sort of looks looks much more like it's the the work of the music video director than uh, than sort of the real real sort of sense that you get from the the other aspects of the film so when you say music video director that's what Jonathan Glazer is perhaps best known as isn't indeed he? yeah I I didn't know much about it. I knew he did Sexy Beast and then I did a bit of research on this before coming in here and I was like he's actually behind a lot of the best music videos from the 90s like Virtual Insanity Jamiroquai video is behind that we'll forgive him for that one sorry <laughs> <laughs> oh wow I think he's done big adverts for Guinness and definitely Guinness maybe like Nike as well I, yeah. I can't remember but yeah he's done a lot of adverts as well as as well as videos and I think that's partly fed into the, my initial impression of of just wanting to kind of perhaps write this film off as style over substance because here's somebody who's you know the film looks i think fantastic yeah but you know what is the story here what's the narrative and i just thought oh this is typical this is what happens when you let you know commercial directors make a feature <laughs> film they've got no idea about how to actually tell a story helen it's an odd film it's it's definitely a very very strange film but it's also very stylized and weirdly beautiful, very interesting. And Scarlett Johansson in it is incredible. 
she's just this kind of strange alien being walking through even when she's just walking through the town you can just tell that even though she's sort of dressed down from what we normally expect of her she's still this completely unique being in this world that is not made for her and there's just so so many things that I noticed the second time around that I'd kind of got caught up in the weirdness and trying to work out what was going on in the first time around that I didn't pick up on or I'd completely forgotten like the bit there's a bit much later on where she's trying to tap along to the music with her fingers and she can't quite do it and she's trying to kind of settle into this world that is obviously never going to happen because she's so alien to it but she's kind of trying but failing as well so it's kind of weird and sad and just really odd and i think you've touched on one of the things which i can well imagine certainly i got hung up on on, and bogged down on on the first time viewing is the more avant-garde aspects of the film because the film opens with this very abstract sequence and there is another one about sort of perhaps two thirds of the way through the film and I think uh, you know and there's also this recurring and Joe which Joe mentioned this recurring room within this within the film which seems to be something to do with Scarlett Scarlett Johansson's inner world I mean it's not really clear it's never explained and I think it's very easy to get kind of hung up on those particular elements of the film especially perhaps on a first time watch and actually the thing that I've appreciated on the rewatch is those elements are not that important and it's the it's the details that that you know you and that the finger tapping moment is a is a great example of you know Scarlett Johansson's kind of developing sort of humanity in in the film you know those are the sort of things that actually are important and I think those are the things to sort of focus on in terms of going in and watching this film and and getting from it what there is yeah I think the less you try and explain it and I think it's kind of there's enough in it for you to sort of work out that, you know, maybe she needs these men as kind of a food source. And because obviously when she moves away from this house later on, she becomes more vulnerable. So you could kind of see it as that. And the less you try and think of it in a narrative or in a linear way or in a way that makes sense, the more you can kind of enjoy it and look around it, I think is definitely the second time around. And the, she has a couple of relationships in it and the one that she has with the guy with this disfigured face is one of the sort of it's very strange but also quite tender and very very human as well for this character who's very alien um, and I think that's one of the more interesting moments in it as well when she's sort of in the car with him for the first time. Absolutely in the that moment of the film I think that's the the bit where it pivots I suppose where there's a noticeable change in in Scarlett Johansson's character, and I think that's is is that the first of the people that are taken back to the room that is essentially well the the one that is let loose yeah. Yeah. essentially, and it's off the back of that that she then sort of there's a noticeable character change and she goes on the run from from what her life is at the that particular point in time. Well, the guy on the motorbike, indeed, yeah, the mysterious guy in the motorbike, yeah. Is quite an odd character following around. I mean, should we talk about that room, the room kind of dark sequence? Because there's a there's a lot of elements in this film which really add to how kind of striking it is. The black room, the the music is kind of haunting and mm. ever present, and and it's got good look. The general kind of special effects of it are actually quite subtle, but very kind of but really good. 
It's like it's like a little mating dance that they do. They kind of have like a little dance. It's kind of a little bit Twin Peaksy in the way that they mm. do their dancing as well. It's kind of like they're not <laughs> the, the dwarf they're from not Twin quite Peaks. Yeah. dancing yep. in time with the music, and it's all a little bit weird. But you're putting quite a nice spin on being consumed <laughs> into Black Scarlett Black Johansson's Black. Diesel Sex Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I, the second time watching it, I think like yourself, I could take a bit of a step back and just to kind of appreciate it. And there were some the scenery was really nice. The scenery was just genuinely, genuinely really nice. There's one point where you're looking over the beach and it's just set on, there's a fixed camera and you could just see that kind of waves coming over and there's like a mist that was just curling round over the over the beach, which just looked really cool. So I can see definitely why it was a style of a substance kind of thing. How much I enjoyed this film, not sure how, I'm not sure I would say I enjoyed it, but I was definitely intrigued by it. I don't think it and, really wants you to enjoy it. I right. don't think that's the purpose of it. I guess maybe you, it starts thinking about this idea of, you know, being in inside certain skins, and you could, you could take so many different angles from it. I mean, one thing I watched it for the second time round was how different a character is. In the first half of the film, she's very, she's a very strong female character. She holds all the power. Mm-hmm. She manages to lure these men back relatively easy into the the diesel. Sex men dungeon. don't come off in this film very well. No. I don't think. But then when she's out of kind of her comfort zone when she's out into the wild and you know with people that she can't control or she's trying to fit in then she becomes very vulnerable and things don't end well so it's a really interesting film from a female character point of view and kind of seeing a female who's really strong in this city environment this urban environment and then sort of falls apart as she goes out into the wild and into an environment that she can't control because I For me, I don't think this film is actually trying to tell a particular story. I think this film is really just trying to, it's something to experience rather than the story that is being told. So it's, you're really, I think the the great achievement of this film is to, is to make our world look alien or to present our world to you in a way as if you were an alien on this earth. So there's very subtle things, I think, within the way a lot of the shots mimic perhaps how you would see the world through if you were Scarlett Johansson sitting in this van, looking at people on the street, mm. the way the sound design in this film, again, emphasises that. So the way it's mixed, you kind of hear these sort of everyday street noises, but they're sort of sort of pushed up a little bit in the mix. So you sort of hear them, you know, this, these are all noises that you're really sort of familiar with that you hear in everyday world, but you don't really listen to them. You just sort of tune them out. But here, they're sort of dialed back up and it kind of forces you to sort of think, Actually, if I'd never been on Earth before, this is what our world would would sound like. And I think that, you know, that is really what this film is mostly sort of trying to do, I think, in terms of, you know, what would what would it be like to be a, an alien on this Earth? Obviously, an alien that needs to consume men on a frequent and regular basis. <laughs> but, you know, there needs to be some sort of interesting narrative dynamic in it. So that's the one they've that's the one they've gone for. There are a few um, quite shocking scenes in it. I think the most harrowing scene, and I, and I remember the year I watched it as well, just the scene where the baby's left on the beach. Yeah. That was, that was actually quite tough watching, I thought, in the, in the cinema. Such a, such a cold sort of walking past, like, quite clearly distressed baby on, yeah. on the beach after, like, both parents have been washed away. Because uh, that was quite, a whole, the whole kind of setup was quite terrible because the dog gets mm. washed away, so the, the, uh, the lady goes in there and then 
husband follows, leaving the kid there, and you just kind of think oh, that's actually horrible. Then you see Scarlett Hansen just stone faced pulling her prey, her caught prey past the baby who's crying and screaming and yelling. And that's that shows that, like you said, Helen, that shows at that stage that she is really not of this world at all. There's no there's no one person who would go past a dead baby, uh, not a dead baby, but a crying baby who's alone and not even look in that direction, apart from that guy with the motorbike. I agree. I think it's one of the best scenes in, in the film, and I, it definitely portrays that aspect of her personality that, you know, she doesn't have all of these sort of, you know, intuitive or learned relationships or, you know, it doesn't have any sort of empathy or sentimentality towards you know other human beings you know and why would she she's not a human being and yeah. i think that scene you know absolutely nails it as you're saying because you've got these people they're trying to rescue they're trying to rescue a dog you've got this young child here it just it's very i think very cleverly done to just sort of really ram that particular point home but in a very sort of you know sort of without subtle and clever way yeah <laughs> yeah i mean that even when you you've seen it the first time around you you know it's coming it's still it's very stark and obviously you've got this character who a female character so you kind of in you know you could almost imagine that in the wrong hands this film could have been that could have been the turning point when she realizes that she does have emotion and she turns around and rescues the baby and it could go down kind of a weird strange path but just to ignore the child completely and then again the story's brought up on the radio and yeah. she's listening to it on the radio and it, she just kind of doesn't really acknowledge the two particularly or sort of link the two together that that's the family that they're being talked about and she was there or anything like that. So it's very it's a very brave thing for a director to do really, to be that cold and heartless and kind of present it to you. And it's not like you see it briefly, it's there for quite a while and in the background. So it, I think it's quite a brave move. Brave move for Scarlett Johansson as well as the as, a, as an actor taking on board this role. I don't know how they got it made and off the ground. This Apparently took quite a, quite a while. I, yeah. think, I think Jonathan Glazier had been thinking about it for about 10 years, wasn't it? And yeah, I, I, and I, think, I think I read that he had had several conversations with, with Scarlett Johansson over, the, over that time. And it just sort of, they had to sort of ensure that it was the right time for everybody to, to do it. But I think it, it was quite a busy year for her as well. Because I think, I, I think the, there were a lot of similar... Well, there was one which was the... Lucy? Lucy that yeah. I'm thinking about came yeah. out pretty much sort of around the same time. And, and also she's, in, she's well entrenched in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point as well. Of course, yeah. So she's, her stock is high. So I think the combination of Scarlet, if this was any other... If this was, a, I don't know, a, a British actress of any other ilk of any ilk would have tied the two together with Jonathan Glazer who's not made many motion features and Scarlett Hansen who's perhaps one of the most highly powerful actors in in the world at the moment putting them together seems like an odd combination so well this film took about 10 or 15 years to get off the ground yeah. and I think it went through various iterations on, on, a, on a script level so it's based on a, on, a, on a novel of the same name but actually the story in this film is quite different from the one that is in the novel. Okay. And essentially Glazer decided to kind of junk the approach of the, of the novel and, and also some of the various previous script treatments. Because I think at one time he was looking to make this with Brad Pitt in a relationship with another alien. They were kind of like living in a cottage in the Highlands and that kind of 
that variant got that, that would have been a very terrible film. Yeah. <laughs> sounds great well we should have been the film that we we're all scoffing but at the same time it's like how did how did this one get off the ground but not one with, <laughs> with brad pitt that's fair but i think Gemma arterton was apparently in the frame to make this at one point but then so that's know, what i mean a, a uk a british actress yeah. who's got some good stock behind her i could completely see this being a film that's made on a low budget with Gemma arterton and and jonathan glazer just the the combination of those two of scarlett scarlett johansson and and him it seems kind of well it's a, how do they do it and bravo for getting off the ground and yeah good she's on done that. a few sort of you know she's looked scarlett johansson has looked to do some sort of more interesting sort of projects around the type of big budget genre fair like lucy or the the marvel films as well so i guess this perhaps fitted the bill of something that you know she's done one for the mortgage and now i'm gonna do one for one myself for yeah. yeah i mean that classic one is the ship with bill murray lost in translation lost in translation yeah where she has completely dialed and i think that's where i talked to her as an actress i, I absolutely love lost in translation even though i can't remember i couldn't remember his name off the top of my head <laughs> <laughs> but it just it does show it does show that she has got that kind of range and, the, and willingness to dive out of a comfort zone yeah I, I think she's mesmerizing this i really do think that it's incredible just the way that she is especially in the sort of you know the hidden cameras the improvised moments when she's like genuinely speaking to these guys and they were sort of oh how are you and things like that and then kind of this really really cold soulless kind of luring them to their death it's it is a remarkable performance and saying she pretty much is the only person in it for the whole of the film and there is hardly any dialogue Mm. i mean there's some bits where she hardly says anything and it's some of those scenes, you know, more enjoyable than a lot of films that I've watched where, you know, that we'd imagine as being typical films. It's a very pared down and minimal performance. And mm. I think it's very easy to underestimate those types of performances because you, it's, I think it's very easy to sort of say, well, they're not doing a lot. But those sorts of, that type of acting style is very easy to get wrong. And, you know, we've all seen in, you know, people in films and you just think, that that person's awful. Like, what what are they? They they can't act because they're you know they're they're not acting. And uh, you know I think Bill Murray can sometimes be guilty of this. I think you know he he can sometimes you know he can he can do very low key. And then it's just like actually you're not acting anymore. You're just you're just doing Bill Murray. You're just doing Bill Murray in a in a in a, in a on a movie set. And as you're saying, I think she's I think Scotty Hansen is absolutely fantastic in this film. And it is a very minimal performance. But I I think. You know, all credit to her to actually make that compelling at the same time. Well, I think when I another thing I remember just now is that when I went into this, a lot of critics who I read said this is one of their favorite films of the year. So I was expecting something that was, I don't know if a run and mill, but I'm a big independent film fan. So I thought it's going to be of the ilk of, you know, Little Miss Sunshine or Juno type thing. So I wasn't expecting, even though people, even though they said it's about an alien who's preying on men. I didn't know what to expect. I wouldn't know how to expect. You've got species people. in your mind, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. That was that was a ninety. Yeah, okay, it's an maybe. RT version of species. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the artistic version. Yeah, that could be it. I don't think definitely. That's right. the pitch, isn't it? It is. Yeah, if you're in the uh, studio executive boardroom. <laughs> I mean, definitely right with the art. This is kind of the the new new genre of art films. You know, from if you're doing a genre studies, and this is kind of alternative cinema. This will be the new one with that. This, you know. This will be, I mean, this is the kind of thing that I would have studied at university in film studies. This is something that would have been looked at 
it's just it's got that very stylized i wonder if that's a lucrative market for like residuals and you know kind of you know royalty payments is if you can get onto the if you can get onto the sixth form movie syllabus (laughs) get on the syllabus yeah watch the cash roll in (laughs) well i think one person has done really well at this is the the lady who did the soundtrack Mm. yeah michael levy the soundtrack's amazing yeah it's just well, been uh, so just good. been Oscar nominated. Well, Indeed, for, for Jackie. For Jackie yeah. right? Has yeah. anyone seen Jackie here yet? No, it's oh, on yeah. my to, to watch yeah. list. Yeah, it's going to be a heavy weekend, I think, for me to try and catch up with a lot of the films I'm, I'm missing out on. But it's it is haunting. But would, I wouldn't. I don't think I could listen to it in isolation. No, it's a, it's a really big part of the the film, and I think certainly I noticed that much more on the second watch because there's because there's so little dialogue. Mm. I think you. You sort of look to to other things like musical cues to perhaps sort of guide you through the film, and I think there's there's certainly sort of at the beginning through the the atmospheric opening, there's almost like an insect like buzz about the strings in the background, and there are just those sort of three three chords that are often repeated. Sort of certainly when when she's leading the uh, leading the gentleman to dinner, and <laughs> no, I think I think it's. Um, I think it's it's much like much like the film in itself. It's it's understated but effective. I think. Yeah. Well, I I hope she wins. I don't know any of the soundtracks that have been nominated, so that's my only. La La Land probably. Would there would there be songs there? Wouldn't they? It's nominated for everything, isn't it's it? Forty nominations. A bit too much. I mean, I'm I'm suspecting it's quite a different different soundtrack to the one that's in this, but uh, who who knows? Well, like yeah, when I heard she was nominated, well, her, when I heard she had done the soundtrack for Jackie. I couldn't imagine what would that what that would be like. So I look forward to seeing what, how many strings she has to a bow, as it were. I reckon we should go to the. Let's do some scoring. Should we do some scoring. Yeah. So this is unique store, scoring system. This is the part of the uh, show I've been looking forward to the most. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Let's really tie ourselves in knots over the uh, scoring here. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We have first up is the recommendability score. So this is how likely you are to recommend this to someone out of five, and you can have points if you if you places. can't decide on a, a full score, and uh, you you can have a zero if if you uh, if you want. And is it going to be a zero? No. Well, I would give the recommendability of this film. Been dying to say that. So. <laughs> I'd probably give this a two. Oh, really? Because, only because as much as I love it, I think I would only recommend it carefully to people because, right. you know, my dad would not get on well with this film. You know, he only watches films with ex-Navy SEALs, I don't know, trying to get revenge or something. So, so your typical top of five or fair is the kind of thing you could recommend to your dad. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Under the Skin is not something. So I would be very careful in my recommendation. So I would probably only give it a two on that. But of those people that you would recommend it to, would it be high? Yes. Recommend? Okay. I would be effusive. And there are people that I have been sort of very, a few, you know, recommended this film very highly to. But they're few and far between, sadly. Okay. I'm going to go slightly higher than Will uh, with a two and a half. Oh. In that 
I take Will's point about it being certainly something that not everybody will get on board with and you probably have to recommend it carefully to people. But I think actually, I suspect that if I, like there will be people that I would be surprised that would enjoy this. And I, I think it's, I think even if they're not going to enjoy it, I would recommend that they watch it to see if actually it is something that they, they do like. Because certainly, certainly if you'd have asked me after, after the first viewing of this, we'd have had a very lower uh, mark. So I think it is it is something that, that perhaps I don't even sort of maybe recommend to people that have seen it once and not enjoyed it to maybe rewatch it again off this experience. Yeah. I'm going to give it four. Wow. Um, had I not seen it again, I probably would have been more along the kind of two, three. But now I just want to recommend it to people just just to mess with them a little bit really and <laughs> just kind of to see what reaction they get because i i th watching it again it, i think it's just is really really interesting and i still don't really know how i feel about it and it's quite rare that i'll watch a film that really just stay with me and i'm still like looking thinking about it and going i'm still really not sure how i felt while i was watching it and i think that's quite rare for films these days to have that effect so yeah Four, go and watch it, everyone. <laughs> I'm gonna. I think I'll give it a three. I think, I think, like Joe said, I think you. I'd like to. I'd like to have the discussion with people after they've watched it, and see what they thought of it. Because I think this discussion now and seeing it the second time is giving more kind of insight as to what happened. Like I, th I think everyone else here has said that on the first viewing, it's a bit of, well, actually, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> but then, when you've seen it for the first time, you can take a step back and think. Okay, so those things kind of dot together, and I don't think I got the first time that she was on the run from the from the guy on the motorbike, and I don't think she, I didn't get the fact that she kind of changed her outlook in life and she was gaining humanity. So, for those reasons, I think it's yeah, I think it's what it's a three, but with you should try and watch it again, maybe a year later to try and see if you get more out of it. And I like like you were saying, well, I wouldn't. I, there's some people who would definitely not get on with it at all, but I would think I'd be but. I think I would sprinkle that recommendation a bit more freely than you would do. Repeat viewing score. Repeat viewing score. I guess I would give this a five because I hmm. really get more out of it every time I watch it. And there's some things that have been said here that actually I was sort of, oh, I hadn't noticed that or I kind of perhaps hadn't given that as much thought. And yeah, this, so this is a film that I, I get, you know, I've, I've rewatched it quite a number of times now. And, oh, um, how many times have you, have you seen it now? Uh, perhaps, this is perhaps my fourth or fifth viewing oh, of wow. it. Oh, okay. And wow. yeah, I'm still getting sort of like extra details out of it. So yeah, I think this is a film that continues to reward you if you continue to watch it. Do you reckon, Joe? I definitely think it's, it's repeat viewing for, for people who have seen it the first time. Having seen it a second time, I'm not wholly desperate to see it a third or fourth <laughs> time so fair play will for for doing that so i i'd probably give it a a three i'm gonna give it a four again i have seen it once before and got a lot more out of it the second time with probably about a year in between so i think probably i would watch it again i'm not going to watch it this weekend or anything but i think if it sort of came around again or I was maybe with someone who hadn't seen it and they were looking for something to watch then I'd probably quite like to watch it with them just kind of have that <laughs> the devil uh, in you yeah and they just sit there go I don't understand what's going on 
Yeah, so four. I think I'll give it a three and for half the reasons that Will was saying, half the reasons that you were saying, Joe, and that you've got to choose between us, Kobe. <laughs> well, I've got, I'm more on the Joe side, I think, by the score. Oh, damn you. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to watch it again. I'm not going to rush to watch it, certainly. And if I do watch it again, I think I will be a distance of time. I At least a year is going to pass before I watch it. But and I also think I'll, there would have been some insight that someone's given me that spurs me to think, hold on, I need to watch that again to see those kind of things and pick them up. And it does require a repeat view and I think to start to appreciate it. So I think it's important to note. If you watch it now for the first time, guys, give it a year and then watch it again and then review the score and <laughs> come back to us. Let us know what you think. Small screen score. So I'd give this a four. I mean, I've seen it in, I saw it in the cinema and yeah. I've seen it in, you know, on my TV at home. And I think it works perfectly well in those environments. So... I'm happy to give it a good score. Yeah, the special effects are good in this, but they're not showy, are they? So you don't need the IMAX screen to make the most out of it. Sure. This might be a point where, the only point where we're in agreement, Will. I would also give it a four. And I've not had the be- the benefit of seeing it in, in the cinema, but there was nothing on this watch that I thought, you know what, I really regret not having seen this in the cinema. <laughs> so I, th- I think it's it's certainly watchable on the small screen. I'm going to give it a three. I was watch. I watched it on like a DVD, so a normal size TV, the first time around, and second time around, I watched it on my computer, and I just sat there all through the computer, going, "I really need to clean my computer screen." <laughs> and, and I think I would quite like to see it on a on a big screen, especially more so for the sound. I think, mm. I think that'd be really good. I think if you can, or if you've got the facility to hook it up to a bigger screen rather than your computer screen, I think it should be seen as big as you can in your home. So uh, for that, a three. Yeah. I watched it, yeah, I think the sound is probably the bigger thing for me than the, the actual visuals of it. And I kept on thinking I, I should get some either really good headphones so I can listen to it really, really well or invest in a bigger house so I can put a better <laughs> surround sound system in. But yeah, I think the sound is the most potent part of the potent loss, I guess, when watching it at home. I'm going to give it a three. Engagement score. Well, I was fully engaged. I really <laughs> like this film. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it, so I was fully engaged whilst I was watching this. So I'm, I'm going to give this probably a four and a half, maybe. Oh, nice. I think half scores are allowed, aren't they? Well, you can go yeah, whichever, can go... however many decimal places you want to go. And Well, I'll keep it easy for you. Just okay. go 4.5. Well, I mean, your overall score is 3.875, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe? I think I'd give it about two and a half. I, whilst the second second viewing was certainly more enjoyable than the first, I I do think that there certainly on the first viewing there's there are problems with engagement in, in parts that for a film that's only a hundred and eight minutes long, it does feel longer or certainly, and I think it felt longer on both of those watches despite mm. the the more positive feeling that I had on the second viewing. So I think I think there are some some engagement problems, but I would encourage people to try and push through to try and sort of guard against the feeling of wanting to stop watching it, which people might have on first viewing, certainly. So what's the score, sorry? 2.5. 2.5. I mean, for me, both times I've watched it, it's, you can't not, not for, for me, you can't not, not watch it because... It's so bizarre and because you've got no idea what's going to happen next. 
So both times, even though I'd seen it before, the second time obviously was picking up on new things, I was still really, really engaged in it. But also thinking in the kind of home environment that if, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes in, you're not really feeling it, you probably are going to switch off or, you know, be, be distracted a little bit. So I'm going to give it a four hmm. for that one. But um, I could see easily that if I was watching it for the first time, maybe I might not have been so engaged obviously this time watching it on Netflix is a bit more kind of freedom in switching it off and things like that. Yeah. I think I'm I'm a three based on the two viewings. I've gone I've gone three across the board, haven't I? Well there you go. What is that average out at? Uh, average is out at three. <laughs> <laughs> My I think just towards the end I was kind of waning a bit and I did take the opportunity to head to the internet and find out a bit, maybe like a bit of what's going on and who did the soundtrack. So what because I remember that she was hiding with Jackie, Michael Levy, and wanted to know a bit more about Jonathan Glazer because I really could not remember anything he'd been in. And that's where I was like, oh, shit, here's a guy behind Street Spirit Fade Out and Uncle and a lot of Jamiroquai stuff. So he did kind of power my 90s music vibe. <laughs> so that gave me a bit more respect for the film, I guess. So had I been more engaged, I may not have redone the research. So that gives us an overall score of 3.4 for Under the Skin, which I think, yeah, it's pretty solid, it's yeah. Pretty solid, for, yeah. For such a kind of odd film, I think it's uh, fared quite well there. Yeah. But, uh... It's not going to be to everyone's taste, so I think that's a good score for a film which is angling at a, probably a, a smaller niche than a lot of films. So when we, I think the reviews on IMDb were quite low for it. They they taken a lot of critic, they taken a lot of viewer scores, don't they? And the Guardian gave it five out of five, so the critics kind of viewed it quite highly. But to think the it's currently hovering on the two at Netflix. I was going to say it was when I when I went to the rewatch. It was it was one star, and I think I, I looked at it before and it was two. So I'm assuming Will had uh, got. <laughs> I, well, I, I'd been on there. I think I gave it a four when I uh, oh, finished watching that. Yeah, just to bump it up a little. Okay, well, three point four for Under the Skin. Well done, Jonathan Glazer and Scarlett Joe. Her new nickname for Scojo. Scojo. Scarjo. Guys, can you give us a? a quick rundown as to where you're from and how we can find you online before we before we close out the show so you can find exploding helicopter the podcast we're on itunes we're on stitcher we're on acast we're in all kind of usual places that you find podcasts if you want to check out the website simplest thing to do is just type exploding helicopter into a search engine we own natural search no one else is writing about exploding helicopter so <laughs> you'll find us very easily if you want to follow me on twitter then you can find us at shop fireball Top of fantastic. Cheers, thanks so much. All my all my work is on the uh, the aforementioned chopper fireballs. <laughs> thanks for coming on. Yeah, cheers, guys. And pleasure. pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, and of course, we want to big up Tony and Jay, and also Greg, our editors from GL Productions. Of course, please big up Mighty People for the tunes you can hear now. And at the start of the podcast, find us on Twitter at Flixwatcherpod and visit our website, flixwatcher.tv. Thanks for listening.